The following message was recorded at Fountain of Life Fellowship in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, visit www.folfcrc.com. All right, good morning. As always, uh, it's the best time of the week to worship our Lord together and uh, now to hear from His Word. I just want to apologize ahead of time. I have to bail uh, after this a little earlier than usual. I have the privilege of preaching at my buddy's church in Los Angeles. And if I don't get a start, I'll, I'll be late. And that's the one thing you should never do when you're preaching at someone else's church. So uh, please hang out and uh, fellowship with one another. Forgive me for that. But let's pray and uh, we'll dive into God's word together. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, you're a living God. You're still speaking. And, and when you speak, that's what brings life. So bring life in us, Lord, maybe the first, for the first time. Uh, Save us. If anyone in here doesn't know you, Lord, uh, give them eternal life through faith in Christ. And Lord, for those who do know you, Lord, just recharge the life we have in you. Inspire us again, Lord. Build, build us up in your word. And uh, we look to you to do that. It's not something I can do in my strength or any of us could do in our intellect or, or self-goodness, Lord, but we need you. So give us humble hearts as we listen and uh, have your way in our hearts and minds, Lord, as we hear your word together in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, we're studying through the book of Hebrews, and we're in the middle of this long discussion on the nature and importance of faith, the nature of the importance of faith. And we're reminded just how essential faith is. I mean, this is, this is a basic foundational thing. Hebrews eleven six said, without faith, it's impossible to please God. You, just, you want to pay attention to that. You cannot be pleasing to God without faith. This is important. It's essential. So we do need to ask then sometimes, what is faith? What is it? Because kind of in cultural language about faith, it gets a little sloppy sometimes. Have you noticed um, songs from when I was listening to the radio would talk about faith a lot? I got to have faith, or you got to keep the faith, or if you're watching the, the right or the wrong movie at Christmas... You know, just believe, right? And so what, is it, what idea does that give you about faith? It's almost, like, it's almost like in that thinking, faith is an extension of just wishful thinking. And if you just close your eyes and believe hard enough, what you really want can come true. So it's like a magic spell or something like that. And you, you can see why then many people mock the idea of faith if that's what you think faith is hoping for the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. You know, that's silly. It's intellectual. Why would anybody live like that? And I think a Christian would have to agree that is silly. That is unintellectual. It's foolish. And by the way, it has nothing to do with what the Bible means by faith. That's not Christian faith. But the, the Bible's very nuanced on this and very wise, obviously, because you know everyone has faith. Did you know that? Everyone has faith. If you're an atheist, you have faith. I don't care what your background is, you have faith. Even if you're not sure what you believe, you, you have faith. Here's the nuts and bolts of faith. Three things, I think. Number one, faith is a trusting reliance. So faith is when, for those deep needs of the heart, your future, your identity, your trusting reliance, you're going to trust something. You can't help it, you will. That's the first part of faith. The second part of faith is the object of your faith. What is it that you're going to trust? You will trust something. Maybe it's yourself. Maybe it's 
You don't even know quite sure, but you, you trust something. So it's a reliance on an object, and it's with the hope of happiness. That's why you're doing this. This is, this is going to come through for you somehow. That's why you're trusting it. It's going to satisfy you somehow. Those three things are part of faith, a trusting reliance on an object with the hope of happiness. So it's, it's very important that we're honest with ourselves here. I would like for you to be able to answer this question for yourself right now. Go ahead and ask yourself, where am I placing my faith? Where, where am I putting my hope for a happy future? On what do I rely? Trusting reliance on an object with the hope of happiness. So that gets us ready for this conversation in Hebrews then. Because if we're talking about Christian faith, we're talking about our reliance on who? Who's our object? Jesus Christ. We are relying on Jesus Christ for significance, meaning in life, forgiveness, a happy future. He's everything to us. And that, that's what started this conversation in the book of Hebrews. Let's remember Hebrews chapter 1, these first three verses in the book. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son. And then we see how amazing Jesus is, whom he appointed as the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He, Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power, after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Well, you read those and you're tempted just to, to preach that sermon again. But you, you saw, didn't you, that the strength, the beauty, the glory, the love of Jesus. He's going to inherit all things. And if you inherit him, you have all things. He made purification for sins. If you have him, you're forgiven. You're a child of God. So much there. But did you see he's the final word? He's the ultimate word. This is what God has said. Come to me through my son. That's what he has said. And so Christians, that's where we put our faith. That's, that's the one on whom we rely for a happy future and everything else in between. We look to Christ. It gets us ready then for this conversation because Hebrews is written to a group of marginalized Jewish Christians influenced by suffering and difficulty to abandon that faith in Jesus Christ and go back to a faith in the Mosaic law apart from Christ. They're tested, tempted to move their faith off of Christ onto something else. And, and why, you would ask, why would you do that? Well, it's because their faith in Christ is bringing persecution and pain and difficulty. So if you maybe, maybe just drop Jesus, put your trust in something else, you'd have an easier life now. Do you see how faith is kind of about hope for a happy future? So our author has emphasized right throughout this entire letter in every way that he can that such a relocation of their faith off of Jesus even if it's on the Mosaic law, but off of Jesus onto anything else, such a relocation of faith would be disastrous. In this case, they would be leaving the fulfillment for the promise. They'd be leaving the substance for the shadow and they would be rejecting God himself. 
So his whole goal, you see the point, his whole goal is to encourage them to stay firm, to endure in putting their faith in Christ. That's what he said in Hebrews 10, 39. We are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but we are those who have faith and preserve their souls. So I want to read that to you again. Listen up. We are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of, of those who have faith and, are, and preserve their souls. So if you have faith, what are you not going to do? You're not going to shrink back. Faith doesn't shrink back. Faith endures. So in chapter 11, our author is describing this true enduring faith and what it should look like. And he's going to spend a lot of time, as you know, on these lives of those who have gone before. And these are examples, of course, his audience would have been familiar with, they would have respected. And so he wants them to learn, he wants this, the audience of this letter to learn from these examples of the past so they can have what they need to endure in their faith. Because he, he knows God always saves by faith. That's always how it's been. It's always how it will be. He saves by faith. And this is what faith does. So let's look to those examples of faith to kind of teach and inspire us so that we can continue enduring in our faith in Christ. So that's evidently what we need to see today, right? That's what the Holy Spirit wants to tell us, tell us today. Because just like this audience, even though the details will be different, you are going to be pressured and tempted to abandon your faith in Jesus and put your hope on something else. You will. Sometimes it's, it's persecution. It'll be like, oh, if I just turn down the volume on Jesus, life will be easier. Other times, and maybe in our day, it's, a little, it's, it's more like distraction. What, Jesus? Oh, but this is what my life's all about. And all of a sudden, you're gonna, the, the true faith of your heart will be relocated onto an object other than Jesus. And so this whole emphasis is no, no, no. Look to these heroes of the past, or these examples anyway, and look at their faith and walk that same road that they have paved. So that's, that's what we're getting at then right now is, what can we learn from this por these portraits of faith on these forefathers, that have, these forebears that have gone before? What can we learn from these portraits of faith so that we can endure in our faith, all right? And so I want you to see six pictures, okay? Six pictures of genuine faith. The first three are gonna be evidences of faith. This is what your life will look like if you really have faith. First three pictures are evidences of faith. The next three pictures are motivations of faith. This is what the engine is running on. This is how you get those first three things to happen. The evidences of faith, motivators of faith. Let's dive in. Hebrews 11, verse 8. By faith, Abraham obeyed. Well, if you've read the Bible very much at all, you know that in the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament, you want to talk about faith, who do you have to talk about? You got to talk about Abraham. Abraham is always the case study of faith. He's the father of faith. In fact, if you want to belong to the people of God, you have to have a faith like Abraham's. So we always look to Abraham to, to learn about faith. And so the author here in Hebrews is remembering God's call to Abraham. You can find that in Genesis 12. Uh, Abraham was a well-to-do most likely moon worshiper in the city of Ur. And God came to him. And what does God say? Genesis 12, 1. Now the Lord said to Abraham, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. 
I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you. I'll make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Notice a couple of things here. Number one, God called Abraham to come by leaving. God says to Abraham, come to me. And what, what's Abraham going to do to come to God? He's going to leave other things. So what does, he, what does he need to leave? Well, God's saying to Abraham, leave your idols and come to me. Put your faith in me. Trust me to do what you've been trusting these false idols to do. He's telling Abram in this case, leave your home. Leave, leave, leave your cultural moment that you're used to and put your faith in me. Find all those things in me. Leave your community and put your faith in me. Leave your sense of security. Leave your house for a tent. Leave the place you know to some place you don't know at all. And I will bless you. And what, what is God saying when he says, leave all that and put your faith in me. I will bless you. Trusting reliance on an object, the word of God, with the hope of happiness. I'm going to find my happiness in the Lord. I'm going to find what I need in him. So right here we see already faith is not a blind hope just projecting what you want to come true. Abraham was chilling. He, he had things. Faith is believing God at his word. That's what faith is. And trusting that God is good for it. It's believing God at his word. God has spoken to us and we believe him. What then is the evidence of a genuine faith? Well, you see in Hebrews 11:8, by faith, Abraham, what's that fourth word? He obeyed. He obeyed when he was called out to go to a place he was going to receive his inheritance. He went out not knowing where he was going. That's obedience in the face of apparent risk. Write that down. Faith obeys even in the face of apparent risk. Isn't that what the audience of Hebrews is facing? If we continue to follow Jesus and trust and obey him and lean on him, what's the apparent risk? Our community is ostracizing us. We're losing everything financially. We've had our property taken. It's going to have a cost to obey Jesus. And what does faith do? Faith obeys in the face of apparent risk. And that's the, always the evidence of faith, right? It's always the evidence of faith is obey, obedience. In fact, I'll go as far as to say, obedience is the evidence of faith even when you're disobeying. Here's what I mean. We say we believe in Jesus, right? Most of you would say that. When you disobey him, you were not putting your faith in Jesus. Faith is relying on an object with the hope of happiness. And so let's pick something uh, normal. You pop off at somebody with, with your mouth, right? You've, anybody ever said something they should have said? You, they should not have said? You got angry? You, 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 wanted, you wanted revenge? You want to establish yourself? You want to do what you... You wanted, to, you wanted to show them they were wrong, and you wanted them to see how they were wrong, and you were right. Has anybody ever had that desire before? Okay. 
What were you putting your faith in in that moment? That was an act of faith. Putting your faith in your pride, your self's ability to save and establish yourself, your self's ability to make yourself significant, worthy, your self's ability to get revenge on the unjust. That was an act of faith. So friends, when we say we trust Jesus, Faith is obedience, because if you put your faith in money, guess who you're going to serve? You're going to serve money. All your dreams and goals, your workaholism, everything else, you're you're worshiping. Or if you're going to put your faith in a certain kind of relationship you must have and you don't have yet, you will serve that thing with horrible results sometimes. You're worshiping. You're worshiping. It's an act of faith. That's why faith in the word of God, especially as fulfilled in Christ, is so essential to put your hopes in him. And so we see here, and there's, there's this idea of movement in Abraham's life, right? Come. And it fits with what the author of Hebrews is saying about faith, because faith seeks God. We've heard that, right? It seeks. And so the idea of seeking, right? It's, um, I, there's something I want, and I'm moving towards it. I'm pursuing the Lord. I, I want to know him more. I want to know his word more. I want to obey him more. I'm, I'm, I'm chasing something. I'm going after it, which just reminds us, faith is never neutral. Have you ever thought, I'm going to put following Jesus like on the side for a moment while I pursue other things? I'm not rejecting him. I'm just going to, I don't have the emotional strength or the time or the, I'm just, I'm going to set that aside over here for a while. You know, it's, it's just what this, that's just what this audience of the Hebrews was doing. They weren't explicitly rejecting Christ, but they just didn't, they didn't want to lean into who he was as priest and all the rest. And, and the author said this, remember back in chapter two, verse one, therefore we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard. This is Hebrews 2, verse 1. We must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away. Drift. That's this world. It's a drift. So faith means you're either swimming towards Jesus or you're drifting. There is no neutral. There there is no vacuum of faith. You are seeking. You are worshiping. Who are you worshiping and seeking? That's the first evidence of faith. Faith moves to obey God according to his word, even in the face of apparent risk. Second picture, see in verses 9 and 10. Faith embraces the identity of an exile. Verse nine, by faith, Abraham went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. In his faith, Abraham left a house for a tent. And I, I like that image, that illustration. The house is something secure, firm, it's yours. The tent is transient, it's moving. I don't own it. It's just a rental. Went from stability being known, having like an anchor, an, an anchor to being a stranger, to being um, 
to owning nothing, to moving around, left his house for a tent, all because he inherited a promise. And even that is this weird irony. I, can, you, can you taste the difference between inheriting a promise and inheriting the fulfillment? For so long, Abraham just had the promise. Think about it. He's, he's in the promised land, and he's being told by God at various stages, this is all yours. And yet, in his actual life, how much of it is his? None. It's yours, and none of it's yours. And he spends nearly his whole life living in this reality of promise. It's yours, but none of it's yours. But he still went. He still did it. He still believed And why? Verse 10 is amazing. Look at Hebrews 11, verse 10. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. This is what faith looks like. You give up your house for the tent so you can have the city. You give up your house and all that means in this world so that you can have a tent here. It's not your home anymore. You're in exile so that you can have the city. That's where I live. You see? And, and he's looking for the city that has foundations whose designer and builder is God. You know, cities in this world, even in their highest glory, right, have no foundation. They're transient, they're broken, they're marred by sin, they have the sentence of death. They won't satisfy you. And so Abraham, in his faith, is looking forward to another city. He's looking forward to that ultimate home for which we all long. And you know, it wasn't even the promised land of Canaan. You remember back in Hebrews 4, the author wrote that even Joshua, when he took the Israelites into the promised land, that still wasn't the promised rest. This world's Israel was never the promised city, ultimately. There's a different one that God will build for his people, and it has foundations. It's unshakable. Think of how Jesus talked, right, when he said, don't just store up your treasure here on earth. Why would you not do that? Moth and rust destroy. Bad investment. Store your treasures where? The heavenly city, the new heavens and the new earth. And why would that be a wise investment? It can't be shaken. It can't be touched. The value always goes up. And that's your true home. That place, that city, the presence of God with his people, the renewed earth. So you add this up. This is what Abraham was looking towards. He was looking for this city whose designer and builder was God. Uh, you, you You see this promise Uh, building throughout the Bible. Yeah, it starts with Abraham, I'm gonna give you this land, and God kept that promise, and Israel had the land, but it was so much more than that. There's this little nugget in Romans 4.13. Look what Paul saw. Romans 4.13. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the, what? World. Where's the promised land? It's the new world. It's the world Jesus will make when he returns. It is an earth, but so much better than the earth. Renewed, beautiful, perfect. And faith has to see that's where I belong. Look what Philippians 3.20 says. Our citizenship, 
is where? It's in heaven. And from it, we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. I love living in this country and I love having a citizenship here. And when you become a Christian, you wake up to the fact this is not your home. It's not your home. Look at 11.13. The writer says, all these, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Sarah, Enoch, all the rest, all these died in faith, not, received, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on earth. What did they acknowledge in their faith? I'm a stranger and an exile on earth. What does faith do? It embraces the identity of an exile. And what that means is you've been honest with your heart to tell yourself, this world is not my ultimate home. It will not satisfy me. It will not keep me. And therefore, I will not be a slave to it because I belong to a different country. And so I've given up my home in this world to live in a tent because one day I'm gonna be in the city. It's so important for faith because wherever you view as your home, that, that's what you will serve. That's what you will live for. That's what you'll invest in. Think about, again, the audience this letter is to. If their home is fitting in with their Jewish community and worshiping at the temple, and this is where their happiness must be, they have to be accepted here. They have to be successful here. They won't be able to follow Jesus. It's not until they say, right? And Jesus, Jesus drops his stuff on us. He says in the gospels, if you don't love me more than your father or mother, you're not worthy of me. If you don't love me more than your kids, you're not worthy of me. Does Jesus want you to not love your father or mother or your kids? No, honor your father and mother, love your neighbor, love your children. But he says, unless you love me most, you won't be able to love them as you ought. And moreover, there are painful times and places where your closest relationships will not want to love and follow Jesus Christ. And if this and they are your home and your family, you won't be able to follow him either. And so you have to see, that even in my pain and my confusion, this is not my home. I'm an exile. And it helps you get your values straight. And it helps you endure in following Jesus. That's the second thing to see here. Number one, faith believes God and moves towards obedience. Two, faith embraces the identity of an exile. Because when you see that Jesus owns you and he's got your home, you're set free to live for him here. Third, faith endures and experiences the miraculous. Verse 11, by faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age and she considered him faithful who had promised. Yeah, commentators have wondered about this statement because you do see this explicit moment in Genesis. You remember Genesis 18, this angelic messenger comes and says, hey, Sarah, after all these years, the baby's dropping next year. And as the text here says, kind of makes me chuckle, she and Abram are as good as dead. And what does that mean? That means getting a baby out of these two is like squeezing grape juice out of a raisin. It's not happening. And Sarah's been waiting and waiting and waiting, and Abraham is not always the kindest, most understanding, most encouraging husband. That's giving him a pass, right? And she hears this message from the angel, next year the baby drops, and she laughs. And let's be honest, and she would be honest, it wasn't a, 
joyful glory be, hallelujah, to the angels laugh. It was a, yeah, right, I've been waiting too long for this laugh. It was not a laugh of faith in that moment. And yet the the angel kind of gently confronts her and she responds to him. You know, the New Testament, the, the author of Hebrews is one example. The New Testament sees Sarah as an example of faith. And I'm really thankful for this. I'm really thankful for this. Do any of you ever have weak moments where your faith isn't quite as strong as it used to be? Come on. You think the author of Hebrews, some of them aren't struggling with weak moments, or the, the, the recipients of this letter, some of them aren't struggling with weak moments. Come on. Sarah was struggling with that weak moment, but, but she grabbed it again. And that which she had believed and hoped for, hey, did not, did not this lady endure in faith? Sticking through all of this. She endured in faith. She had a weak moment and she came back and grabbed and believed again what she had almost let go of. She believed it again. And, and even though she's as good as dead, she and her old man husband, what comes the next year? The baby is born and it's a miracle. It's a miracle. It's a miracle. Faith endures and will taste that miracle. And the miracle here specifically is the creation and salvation of God's very people. Because look, therefore from one man as him as good as dead were born descendants, as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of the sand by the seashore. So it was impossible that Abram and Sarah could have a baby and yet through faith they did. And, And then that miracle of that one child being born here you are. Here you are. It's, it's wilder than they ever dreamed. Because in our sin, weren't you and I as good as dead? That's what the, that's what the New Testament says about us. You're as good as dead. You don't love God or his ways. And then the same miraculous power with which God gave Abram and Sarah, Isaac, that same miraculous power changes our hearts to love the ultimate seed of Abraham, Jesus Christ. And so it's like Galatians 3.29 says, if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Everything promised to Abram has both in, in its fulfillment in Christ has come true for you and now belongs to you. He's our forefather and this inheritance promised to him is ours. And if you endure in your faith, you will experience that miracle of God creating and saving his people. You'll be one of them. You'll see them come, our brothers and sisters. We'll see the people of God grown and saved. These are three evidences of genuine faith. It believes God and moves towards obedience, embraces the identity of an exile, it endures and experiences the miraculous. Now three motivators. And you've seen these motivators already as we've, as we've walked through this account, but we'll just notice them explicitly for a moment. Motivator of faith. Look at verse 13. All these died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. So you've got Abraham, you've got Isaac, you've got Jacob, you've got Sarah, died 
in faith. You think of the promise that was given to them, I'm going to give you this land, I'm going to give you offspring, and uh, I'm going to be your God, and you will be my people. Did they receive the promises? What? In a way, yeah. God provided for them, he cared for them, he fellowshiped with them, he brought them to the land. Isaac was born, Jacob was born. Yeah, they received it, and yet did they receive it? Did they really receive it all the way, the completion of it? No, not at all, especially when you're thinking about the heavenly city. None of us have received that yet. But I like this how, you know, they died in faith. Death will seem to make a mockery of your faith, won't it? Death seemed to make a mockery of their faith. Hey, God's going to give you all this stuff, and now I'm going to die, and I, I didn't see it. They died in faith, and even in, in, even in that moment, having seen and greeted the promises from afar, you know, it's like, I can imagine Abraham being like, I see you. I know this is coming. Why, why did it work like this for them? Why were they so staunch in their faith, as imperfect as they were? Verse 16, as it is, they desire a better country and that, that is a heavenly one. Here's this first major motivator of faith. You desire a better country. C.S. Lewis wrote a lot about this. Say things like, I have, I have tastes for things. I don't, I don't get in this world in this life. I have longings for things that this place just can't satisfy. If you've read um, The Last Battle, the last book in the Narnia series, they hit kind of the new Narnia, which is the, the idea of heaven. It's the new earth. And it's Jewel the Unicorn, who's a courageous, faithful character in the story, Jewel the Unicorn, who sums it up, I'll read to you what Jewel said. Lewis writes this. He said, it was the unicorn who summed up what everyone was feeling. He stamped his right forehoof on the ground and neighed, and then he cried, I've come home at last. This is my real country. I belong here. This is the land I've been looking for all my life, though I never knew it till now. The reason why we love the old Narnia is that sometimes it looked a little like this. Your highest and most holy joys with the Lord, with one another, that, that kind of are fleeting in this life. They just, they just give you that hint of, of what's coming, the better country. You know, I think I could do better with this idea in my own heart. The author of Hebrews is saying, your delight in heaven is a huge motivator for your enduring faith here on earth. And I don't think I delight or meditate on the idea of heaven enough. And, and you know, when we, we say the words, hey, it's going to be okay, and sometimes it sounds so trite, right, in, in some of these horrible moments that we live through, it's going to be okay. And if by that we mean everything in this circumstance is going to come out right, well, maybe not. But can Christians say to one another, it's going to be okay? It's going to be okay. How are you going to be doing like 100 years into your experience of the new earth? You going to be okay? What about like 500 years into your experience of the new earth? You going to be all right? How about 1,000 years into your experience of the new earth? You going to be okay? And, and how long will it take for you to look back on this short life with light and momentary afflictions 
And, 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 and you'll say, you know what, I'm okay. I'm more than okay. You have a better country coming. And that is meant to motivate your faith. Didn't Jesus kind of say this thing, like some of his last words with his disciples? What did he say, John 14? John 14, 1. Let not your hearts be troubled. Jesus, come on, you're about to get crucified. It's going to be a hard life. No, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. That's the better country. Let not your hearts be troubled, even as you endure suffering and difficulty in following Christ. Your reliance on him as the object will lead to your eternal happiness forever. It's the first motivator of faith, that better country. We see that. Second motivator of faith. Faith experiences the pleasure of God. I love verse 16. So he's looking back at these people of faith, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Sarah, and the rest. Let's just remember again, were these perfect people? No, in fact, many of you make them look like, you, you look like saints compared to them, many of you, okay? They were not perfect people. I know I just messed that up because we're all saints in Christ, but you know what I mean, right? I mean, they had flaws, but they had real, true, and genuine faith. Look at what 16 says. God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. And God would talk about himself like, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Why would you want to be known as the God of Jacob? I thought you were all about your glory and everything. The God of Jacob? He's saying, that's the kind of people I save, and I identify with the people who put their faith in me. I'm the God of the people who put their faith in me. I'm theirs, and they are mine. I'm, I'm happy to be known and, as his God. This world will mock your faith in Jesus Christ and his word, but you need to know that when you have just a mustard seed of faith in Jesus Christ and you live accordingly, God is happy to be called your God. Just being here today because you have faith in Jesus Christ and you want to worship God with his people, God is proud of you and he's happy to call himself your God and he means this personally, you. I can make it really awkward and name all your names. I won't do that, but it's for you. He's your God because nothing glorifies God like faith. I believe your word that it's true. I believe your character that you're good. I believe your strength that you can make it come to pass and I want to see you and be with you and God is glorified. Isn't the pleasure of God in your faith worth something to you? Isn't knowing that God is pleased with you in your faith and every little 
even the tedious things you do sometimes out of faith in him and a desire to serve him. He's happy with you. He notes this. He's not ashamed to be called your God. It's the second motivator. Faith experiences the pleasure of God. Now the last one. Hebrews 11 is like a highway, and it mentions all these great folks and gives all these lessons, but this highway ends at the goal, and who's the star of the show, the beginning of chapter 12? Well, you know the answer. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. He's the greatest example, the author and perfecter of our faith. He's our treasure, and and the the author is going to culminate this particular argument with just showing how faith is satisfied in Jesus. I'm satisfied in Jesus. Look at, look at one, one example, Hebrews 12, 22. Just look at 22 to 24. The author's summing up this, this section. He says, you have come to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the word of Abel. We just we remember everything we've seen so far in Hebrews. Jesus is our priest who came for us. He has, he has sympathy for us. He loves us. He's come to be with us. He's like us, to save us. He died on the cross for our sins. He's brought us into a new relationship with the Father, and his blood speaks a better word. What do you, what do you think that means? What did, what did Abel's blood say? This is kind of a symbolic statement, right? Do you remember that story? Cain kills Abel unjustly. God says, his blood is speaking to me from the ground. What does unjust bloodshed say to God? Bring justice on that criminal. Bring justice. And you wonder, boy, if that's true, you wonder how much God is listening to every day. Unjust blood spilt. Bring justice. But Jesus' blood gives a better word. What does Jesus' blood say? Jesus' blood says of his people who have put their faith in him, give grace and mercy because I took the justice. I took the justice. All the times we have not put our faith in Christ, all the times we have not believed, all the times we have drifted, we look to Jesus, we put our faith in him and we realize he paid for it. He took care of it, and we have come to him, and he is ours. Look where he wants to take us. I just couldn't escape these words in John 17. The same Jesus who says he's making a place for us, look at what he wants for us. John 17, 24. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, what does he want? May be with me where I am to see my glory that you've given me because you love me from the foundation of the world. What's Jesus' prayer for you? He wants to be with you so that he can thrill you in the beauty of who he is. That motivates. It is a motivator of faith. Jesus wants to be with me and thrill me with the beauty of who he is. I wanna get there. I want to go. Is he worth it, church? Is he worth it? So listen, you're going to be tempted to put your faith in something other than Jesus Christ. And so this passage is saying to us with all passion, put your faith in Christ and never leave, no matter the cost. 
Three evidences of faith. Faith believes God and moves towards obedience despite the apparent risk. Faith embraces the identity of an exile. This is not my home. I have a better one. Faith endures and experiences the miraculous salvation of God because faith has these motivators. Faith looks to that city. Faith enjoys the pleasure of God and faith is satisfied in Christ. So whatever comes, may we endure in faith. May we make that city. Amen. Let's pray. God, thank you for this incredible word, the incredible example, the incredible encouragement. Lord, you know where each of us needs to hear this, places where we're wavering or we're in neutral or we're not seeking you or we're tempted or we're pressured to look to other saviors. Lord, we ask that your Holy Spirit would just draw us to Christ and to trusting in him again more deeply, more passionately, more sweetly, willing to endure whatever you give us with faith, faith that you keep your word. And Lord, we thank you for these promises, for your faithfulness, and that we will one day inherit not just the promise, but every fulfillment of that promise. We'll be satisfied with you and with one another forever. Thank you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening, and we invite you to visit us Sunday mornings here at Fountain of Life Fellowship. For more information, visit www.folfcrc.com.